Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone, and we're back in season two, and so excited to have Christina Cooper back again. And so in today's talk, we decided to talk about female orgasm. Now, I'm going to really start by saying, when was the last time you actually had a conversation about it? I can't remember. I remember not even being taught about it in med school, even when we studied gynecology. We don't even talk about it as females or girlfriends meeting up. So Christina, welcome. We're going to dive into female orgasm. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me back. I'd love to talk about these things. And last time I talked about the orgasm was actually this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) It was also yesterday. So I feel it's pretty present (laughs) in my field at the moment. I love talking about these things, which are, you know, often held as taboo, but we we just need more information about. We often don't have much education about um, these things. So, yeah. Yeah. So where, I, I think the best place to start is just, actually defining female orgasm so i mean so this is interesting like there are there have been many studies on female orgasm and you know currently it's defined really as this um peak experience and it's kind of like i mean i would say every orgasm is different and everyone experiences their orgasms differently (laughs) as well so so often people are chasing a particular thing that they have in mind that they think they need to achieve and that it looks a certain way um, and that sort of misses other potential orgasms or steps along the way or even freeing the space for an orgasm to kind of happen. So, you know, we might talk a little bit about female anatomy, if that's okay, yeah, just to uh, listen out there. So, you know, most, I would say that most vulva owners have experienced, if they experience orgasm, would, are most familiar with clitoral orgasm. And not everyone has um, experienced orgasm. Some people are anorgasmic. They may be on a journey on their pathway to looking to discover orgasm. And I just want to reassure them they're not alone, but it's actually not that uncommon for people not to, for vulva owners not to have experienced orgasm. And it's it's a matter of they're not broken and there's nothing wrong with them. It's uh, mainly like a, a skill like anything that can be learned. So I encourage those people to not feel shame about reaching out to a practitioner. It might be an intimacy coach like me or a GP or uh, sexological body worker so clitoral orgasm is the one that we're most familiar with and this is you know for stimulating the clitoris reaching a peak and then having a, a peak experience I guess w- what I'm having in mind is that there are also different nerves involved so you you have like one so the clitoris itself has got something like over 5,000 nerve endings so it's really the, the organ of pleasure it's not designed for anything else it doesn't have any other function other than pleasure and how amazing is that to have an organ just dedicated to pleasure. And then there's different nerves which are then involved in the vagina and, and the rest of the vulval area. And so you can actually experience different kinds of orgasm with the different with the two different nerves being involved. So we might experience clitoral orgasms generally sort of as a you know wonderful and kind of short lasting peak experience. And by the way, there's no bad orgasm. <laughs> there's no right way to have an orgasm. In certain spiritual communities, there might be a thought about oh, clitoral orgasm, that's not great. You have to be heading for the cervix. That's a true transformational spiritual pathway, etc. And you know, I really think there's no no bad orgasms out there. But just um, so there's clitoral orgasm. There's also 
G-spot orgasm. So G-spot's a bit of a misnomer because it's not a spot. It's not like there's an on-off button. You can kind of press that and then it just sort of, you know, ping. <laughs> it's actually the name. It's better known, these days, really better name for it is the urethral crest. So this is the whole of the spongy tissue on the front wall of the vagina through which the urethra runs. And G just stands for the, the, the abbreviation of the first letter of the, the guy who kind of discovered this area. But like I say, we've done ourselves a great disservice by thinking there's just one spot because people are looking for the spot rather than realizing it's the whole of the urethral crest, which can be delightfully delicious and, and highly orgasmic. And so this tissue, so these are erectile tissues in, uh, within the vagina that are urethral sponge. And also there is a perirectal sponge. So on the back wall of the vagina, in between the front hole and the back hole between the vagina and the anus, there's the perineum. This is just the soft skin part outside, but just inside, there's a spongy tissue there with a perirectal sponge. And this also becomes engorged during arousal when there's excitation. In the same way that penis owners, their penises become engorged and erect, the same kind of erectile tissue. So these spongy tissues can become, become engorged as the person becomes more aroused. And then they can, you can also then experience orgasm in these places. And they're quite different. So often people who own urethral sponges, people who, so I'm being careful with these terminologies. So I want to get away from like naming someone their gender just from their sexual apparatus because we might, you mm. know, we might um, identify quite differently to anyone, our felt sense of who we are, our identity. So uh, that's why I'm choosing my words quite carefully. It might sound quite clunky. <laughs> so sorry about that. So, yeah, so there might be arousal from the urethral sponge and front wall, and that can lead to orgasm, a so-called G-spot orgasm. And this is often felt as like a deeper inside kind of experience in the clitoral. And for many folks with urethral sponges, it can be quite an emotional experience as well. So that, the pyrectal sponge, also can have um, arousal orgasms there that's called a p-spot orgasm further up inside the vagina behind the urethral sponge just in front of the cervix and um, there's this is called the anterior spots you can also have anterior spot orgasms from there and oh yeah sorry these p-spot uh, posterior that's immediately behind the anterior spots so it's like opposite side of the wall and the the peri perirectal sponge this is the kundalini spot also there are cervical orgasms Again, there's a different kind of nerves involved in the whole of the cervix. Um, the whole wound can go into contraction. And so this can felt, be felt, again, as a sort of deeper sensation inside. And for some people, it might be like a rolling, thunderous um, experience. Other people, it might be really quite calm or, or, or tranquil, but a more of a sort of spiritual connection, a sense of oneness. There's all sorts of different kinds of orgasms, and they can all be blended. <laughs> so the joy of joy is to be able to experience all these things. So there's that kind of world of all potential of orgasms out there and I want to reassure people who've perhaps never experienced any of them or only experienced a clitoral orgasm and perhaps being mind-blown that there are other types is that um, again there's nothing broken with you that there's it's just they're just skills that we can kind of learn and I would you know I work with a lot of women or people that are folks who identify with women like vulvas who experience numbness so this is like super common so numbness you know is in fact a sensation it's like a block and there's often really strong emotional blocks or um, uh, like emotional withdrawing and it can lead to a pattern of numbness. And this, this might be because perhaps the vagina has been penetrated when the vulva owner is not ready to be penetrated. Either not necessarily because it's non-consensual, but maybe because they just physically weren't ready. It takes, you know, 40, generally on average, 40 minutes 
for um, the whole area to really become engorged and ready for penetration. And most people, you know, especially if you watch, you watch movies and how they make love in movies, it's just kind of like, oh, here we go. And then we're in. Yeah. Um, rather yeah. than actually waiting for things to be ready for adequate lubrication, for relaxation of the pelvic floor. Um, and all, all of this has to come from a, a felt sense of safety in that area. So if we've overridden our boundaries, if we push through because of some performance idea, because of the way we're thinking that we should be in our body rather than just feeling our body, um, then naturally that can lead to some shutdown. And, you know, and not to feel bad about sh- shutdown or no judgment about it either and no shame because it's just, okay, noticing, okay, shutdown is present, there's numbness here and... And I'd like to reassure anybody out there that, yeah, you can work through these things and de-armor the whole area. I mean, I came definitely from a place of deep shutdown. So, uh, you know, I know firsthand that it can feel like an impossible task to be working through these issues. But having faith and, and keeping up with the practice, magically it just happens. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, yeah, and it just takes time. And, and often, you know, it's not necessarily to the agenda of our mind, but or uh, this should be, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not like um, it's working to a particular timetable that we can control with our mind. It's really, you know, listening to our body, allowing our body to open and flower, allowing it um, in the tantric sense of dropping into our deep feminine essence, not in a kind of gender binary sense, but just in a kind of opening yin state of allowing ourselves to drop into our natural essence in order to flourish. So all that doesn't, you know, generally require that we feel relaxed. (laughs) And, um, you know, we drop out of our head into our body. So it's our body that's experiencing the orgasm. Our mind might be certainly involved with with setting up the circumstances and our arousal patterns. Um, But then the more we feel in our body, the more we'll be connected to the body, the more we'll be able to then navigate what our body needs in that moment to more deeply open i guess one of the things that it's all about creating the opportunity for orgasms to come and then they'll show up (laughs) i love how you described the anatomy and explained it all because that's literally the first time i'm really thinking about it in that way and i can't emphasize enough like where do we get our sex education from and also where do we get the influences from and you've made a really good point it's so easy to look at movies and expect that that's what we're looking for. And we can describe it. They may not come to a GP seeking for advice, but they may describe it in so many other forms of maybe low mood or anxious or low libido. So it can come across in different ways. Yeah, or pain during sex, you know. I'm thinking there's something broken about them or something wrong. And, you know, us with our doctor brain, we'll also want to make sure that there's not some serious pathology there. And then it's all about asking the right questions, you know, really asking more about it. What people mean, what their expectations are, and are they taking to You know, I agree about the educational thing. Like, it's really poor. Most people have their education from sex ed at school, where it might be all about condoms and bananas and <laughs> yes, yeah. terrible diseases you might have and got to be pregnant. All this kind of, you know, I think, I mean, some... You know, having spoken to a teacher friend of mine lately, there's definitely more education around um, consent, boundaries, and all this, and communication. So I'm hoping that that will shift. And we shift. And there's definitely a, a big movement around shifting the taboos around sex and sexuality. So there's, and I would say that there's more opportunities for people to be educated um, these days than there ever was when we were kids. 
No one. And and good TV programs like um, Sex Education on Netflix is awesome. That's <laughs> true. It's really great. Like it's a, it's a, it's awesome. You know, because actually it's a raising awareness that people can ask questions about these things. It's okay, and that there are there are questions to be asked you know, rather than just accepting the information and not even knowing that there's a different way of doing things or a different possibility. Absolutely. And I was reading somewhere about the benefits of orgasm on your health. Yeah. Could you dive into that a bit further? Oh, for sure. Yeah, def- I mean, it's regulating nervous system, hormonal balance, vibrancy, and, you know, also making love is good cardio. <laughs> like it's good for your, your, your heart rate and stuff. And being in, in um, intimate connection with someone is incredibly nurturing for our nervous system. And that itself, you know, lower stress, it's going to lower long-term consequences of stress, like blood pressure you know, issues heart disease and all these things so I'm I'm really yeah for us to feel deeply nourished and at the same time not chasing after all that so as I said it's all really about making the space for that and that nurturing whether it's with a partner or just with oneself and then organs will come naturally over time so not getting caught up in the stress mindset of like, oh, I need to have orgasm now either you know because the more we chase after something we more tighten up we tighten up we tighten up and and that actually makes it less available to us. So again, it's important to relax to regulate the nervous system, and then the, the things come without being attached to them. It's like many things in life, like you know, opening a space for good things to come, but not being attached to them. Mind show up. <laughs> and so, if someone is seeking more information, you did mention you know coming to see someone like you in terms of intimacy coaching. But are there any other resources or what first steps can they take? Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, there are, I would say just first, just acknowledging where they're at with the body. That's like the very first step. Okay, how am I, what is actually happening here and how do I feel about it? And then are things work? And then, you know, because often there are quite a lot of feelings we haven't allowed ourselves to feel. If we're really present with those feelings, we often get the guidance that we need. So it's sort of, Often, commonly, there is quite a lot of grief, perhaps around, for example, vulva owners who identify as women who have not engaged sexually with themselves or have another person for quite a while, and it's kind of been out of their mindset, and they've perhaps had low libido, and they've, they've kind of cast it aside. But they cannot, they can often, and that could be totally fine, and they're cool with it. But often, I've had these people come to me who've been, yeah, quite, uh, quite a lot of grief around that whole thing. So just mm. acknowledging where we're at and being able to just feel all the feelings around it is, is really step one. <laughs> because then you can acknowledge where you're at without making it a, a kind of problem, more like, okay, is this working for me at the moment? I can acknowledge exactly how I am in this moment. I'm willing, I'm ready and willing to engage in having a different relationship with myself, with my body, and being a willingness to listen more deeply. So I would say that would be just step one. And then things will show up, whether it's, seeing an intimacy coach whether it's listening to podcasts whether it's seeing a sexological body worker whether it's seeing a gp just get checked out to make sure there's no pathology there no yeah. more of that i just i'm a strong believer that the universe can provides and manifests the things as long as we have made the request and made the, the question in an open-hearted non-attached way so again that's a sort of more philosophical kind of approach but um i would say that's step one you know and educating yourself on like anatomy can be really helpful so there's there's a brilliant course a little course online uh, which can be purchased i'm just checking the 
Mm. Well, my brain has gone blank. She's a wonderful um, educationist. Cindy Darnell. So she has she has a wonderful online kind of anatomy thing called anatomy of arousal, which can be purchased. And this has got she's explaining everything, shows models, like to explain how the process works. So that's a great resource for finding out more. Then many um, de-armoring uh, online programs, that self-service is one. Um, I haven't used personally, but I've had good feedback from people who've used that. I thought that's a great, um, great place to start. And I'm quite yeah. curious, Christian, what can they expect when they come and see an intimacy coach? Okay, well, firstly, like, firstly, there are, yeah, there, it's, there are no, to me, it's talking. So to start with, it's talking and understanding where the you know what's going on with the person in their life because everything has an when we're engaging with ourselves with intimacy we need to understand where we're at and so an intimacy isn't all about sex it's really about um, connecting with once connecting with oneself and then understanding one's own compass so remember that makes sense so so yeah, so it would be talking and um, understanding where they're at, what are the particular goals that they're hoping to achieve, that they're hoping to, what they want to bring into their life. And so this it kind of touches on many aspects of life because of that. Um, you know, sex and sexuality, this is often where we hide our, you know, it's a taboo subject, it's often where we hide our unawareness. <laughs> so anything we don't really, really want to deal with, with kind of, you know, it's hidden within our taboos. But as soon as we take ownership, over what we find taboo, over the things that we've not been willing to look at. As we take things out of unawareness into awareness, we're bringing light on these things, which means that it's, it then touches on every aspect of our life. So if we're not able, for example, to own our desires in the bedroom, how can we fully own our desires um, in the boardroom? Because <laughs> so right. I mean, there's always some aspect of a part of us feeling ashamed. And that would, that would kind of show up in different aspects. So that's kind of, so people come for all di- different reasons. They might have, they might be wanting, for example, to go through shame, or they might just be wanting education or information. They might have numbness or blockage and want to uh, work through that. They might have issues around what's going on with them and their, and their partnership or whatever, sort of whatever, that, whatever configuration that might be. And so, yeah, so often it's a, <laughs> a finding finding and, and relational aspects so part of working with intimacy is also regulating the nervous system so for me it seems it's like the the what's most important in the beginning is really rapport and building cultivating um, an environment of safety because without that actually that you need no work possible <laughs> so true so and there might be different practices then and there might be meditations different practices that would do on their own so they wouldn't, for example, involve any nudity on screen or anything like that if anyone's kind of wondering about it. So it's a coaching, it's a coaching um, space. And then with practices to do um, by themselves, there might be like off-camera just movement or something, like for doing movement practices for people just feeling like they're in the body. And, you know, I like to have camera on, so we're kind of meeting each other with face-to-face. Um, in the beginning so we can you know, get a scope of each other it's also helpful then for some just breathing meditations and things um, but some people are not comfortable with being seen on camera and that's totally fine when they just work with just voice um, so it's yeah so it's very unique it's more like a boutique service for what everyone requires and you know everyone's coming for different things everyone has a different journey and there may be you know sometimes people might also need out the referral there might be other things that, that are really helpful for them to do or maybe they need to also see their GP about something maybe they need to see their nutritionist about something you know 
what am I doing? You see a pelvic floor physiotherapist, there's like, you know, to sort of so that's a kind of general scope. But generally, like when I'm starting with a client, I'll have a clarity call first just to make sure that we're a really good fit and we're on the same page and that I can really provide the service they're looking for because maybe they're you know, maybe they're requiring something else or looking for something other than what I'm offering. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a really good summary and just gives an idea for people to decide which avenue they want to take. And I have to say, to be honest, GPs do not have the time to explore in a normal consult or may not have the expertise. And that's where someone like you, Christina, intimacy coaching is just ideal because it takes time to have that conversation and dive deeper. But of course, you know, ruling out pathology is something GPs do all the time, but this yeah. could be a secondary pathway for people. Yeah, looking. exactly. And, and the time, you know, it takes time for us to heal or settle in another system <laughs> in order to then have those conversations. And as you say, I think many, many GPs are just not confident really about asking particular questions or they're worried about embarrassing the patient or, you know, and that might be because they have some of their own unresolved things in themselves around sexuality. So they're kind of difficult to talk about. And, you know, that's, um, that's you know, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of compassion for, for everyone around. Thank you so much, Christina. I think that, that was a brilliant start and a brilliant beginner's guide to look exploring more into orgasm. And I love those resources. And I'll actually write it in the show notes as well so people can um, look them up in terms of access to other information. Thank you so much for your time, Christina. And of course, we will be back, I'm sure. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's a great fun, as always. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au and sign up for the six week challenge on how to reduce stress today. Enjoy the journey.